Asia Tech Podcast with Graham Brown and Michael Waits. Hello and welcome to Asia Tech Podcast Stories. My name is Graham Brown. Today we're heading to Bangkok, Thailand to meet Damien Canes, who is the co-founder of Siam Car Deal, which happens to be a platform helping car buyers in Thailand find the best deals on new cars. And we're going to talk about that journey, how he set up Siam car deal, what the story is with the journey behind that business, what problem he's solving, and also how he got to Thailand. He, here's a guy who was an expat in Thailand, age 22. So there's a lot of questions that that raises. We want to learn about his experience and also what he's seen in the Thai startup ecosystem, because he was there before Thailand had a startup ecosystem. Damien, welcome to the show. Hi, Graham. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to have you here, wondering where we should start. There's so much to talk about your story. I'm really curious about that bit about you coming to Thailand age 22 in 2006, but let's park that. We'll come back to that in a minute. I think we should start by talking about Siam Car Deal. This is your startup. This is your baby. You run this with your wife. You're funded. You've been going for, well, nearly two years now. So tell us about what Siam Car Deal is and also share with us, if you can, what is the problem that you're trying to solve? Right. So as you perfectly described it, Siam Car Deal is a platform where you can find the best promotions, the best offers from official car dealers in Thailand for new cars. Uh, so we don't do secondhand cars, for example, at the moment. So the idea is that there was a lot of websites doing secondhand cars but no really no resources to find information about new car promotions so actually when i bought a car in thailand this is how it started uh, about seven years ago i went around to buy a car i was looking online couldn't find any information and then i had to go to the dealers myself to ask okay well do you have the car in stock do you have uh, this color do you have uh, finance options etc and i ended up going to five different dealers spending about a week to get their promotions all of that to go back to the first one because they actually had the best offer mm-hmm. um, and then a few years later which was probably three years ago I wanted to upgrade to change my car. So I looked again and I was like, wow, there's still no website. There's still nothing (laughs) to Mm. find. And I thought I must not be the only one who have this problem. So I decided to look uh, a bit more into that. I studied a bit the business model in other countries. And then I saw a gap in the market, saw the opportunities. So I decided to give it a shot. And here we are three years later. (laughs) Platform is up and running. Uh, we have about 70 dealers now in all over Thailand working with us, and we offer more than a 1,000 deals on the platform. So if you were to go back to France, where you're from, there is this kind of platform there, is there? I mean, there's this business model that's established and well understood. Is that kind of the, the knowledge that you're bringing across there? Correct. So I looked at France, uh, especially, not only because I'm French, but because France and Thailand are very similar. Uh, They have the same population, around 66 million. Uh, They have uh, the same, uh, they have a big city, so there's Paris and Bangkok where most of the business is happening. They're both like very uh, tourism-oriented countries. Uh, So I was looking at 
uh, at least as a reference of what, what would, could be the potential. And we saw that there were 2,000 dealers in Thailand, car dealers in Thailand. And I looked at France and there's like 10,000. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that, so the, here's our growth for the next 20 years. Um, and of course, uh, the, the website, the platforms were running for about six or seven years already. So I had a lot access to a lot of information that maybe local entrepreneurs could not read because I could draw on the French resources there. You said, interestingly, that there were roughly 200 car dealers in Thailand and 10,000 uh, in France, right? 2,000. Oh, 2,000. And the 10,000 in France. Correct. Right. So will Thailand reach 10,000 at some point? I, I don't know the size of the, the auto market, but if you, I mean, if you look anywhere across Southeast Asia right now, there's a big growing middle class who are buying I, new I, cars. Right? I believe it will. I believe it will ultimately. I don't know how long it's going to take. Probably 20 to 30 years is my guess. Uh, when I look at the car sales, uh, Thailand sells about 800,000 cars a year at the moment, whereas France is at 2.2 million. Mm. So about three times more cars every year sold in France for the same population. So I think Thailand can get there, but it depends on also you know government policies and development of the economy. But I'm, I, I launched this business because I believe it can get there. Right, right. Why, here's an interesting question, and I guess this comes up a lot in many of the interviews that we do, so I'm interested to hear your answers, that why did it take a foreigner, if I can use that term, I know you've lived in Thailand for nearly 12 years, so no disrespect to you, but you've come from outside with you know, maybe a different way of thinking. Why did you think it took somebody from France or from outside Thailand to start this business when you would think that there's a lot of entrepreneurs in Thailand and there's a lot of rich second generation entrepreneurs who you know who come from rich families who could start this kind of business why did it take somebody like you to do that what, what do you think that you had that maybe local thai entrepreneurs were missing so basically um about uh, almost uh, 17 years ago now I was a developer, so I studied IT. I was developing in HTML and PHP. Um, and after that, I went a different route, uh, obviously. But so in 2003 in France, it was the time where the high-speed internet started to spread. Mm. So all the households were having these fast connections. And that's where a lot of the tech giants now in France started back in 2003. And I saw this, um, but I was only 18 years old or 19 years old on the time. So I was seeing this and I was like, wow, this looks like a good opportunity, but I was too young to do anything about it. And now when I was in Bangkok uh, back in, let's say, 2012, mm. 2013, that's when uh, startups starting to uh, be created in Bangkok. And I was starting to feel the same vibe. In, back in 2014, I was like, wow, this is just like 10 years ago in France. That's where if you st I believe if you start a business now, that's when you can get the benefits yeah. in about 10 years. And I think that's what some of the locals are missing. They don't have this point of reference that I could have mm. by seeing, having seen it happen in other countries. So I believe anyone in the U.S. would probably even have more advantage because they are 10 years ahead of France. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. That's almost an advantage, isn't it? That, you know, when... If you were to take knowledge from one market to another market, it's almost like arbitrage. You, you can bring something that has happened somewhere else that you have knowledge. It gives you a distinct advantage because many people, they look at moving to a new country or a new market as a disadvantage, right? 
So that's always a challenge. You know, you, you don't speak the language, you don't know the culture, you don't have a network and so on. It's a real disadvantage, but you, you've used that to your advantage, right? So let's talk about your, well, let's park that because I want to come to that whole thing about you moving to Thailand in a minute because it's a really fascinating story. But I, I want to talk about Siam Cardio because that's your first startup, right? You were a corporate Correct. guy for, well, how many years? 10, 12, 15 years? Yeah, about, about more than 10 years, yeah. All right, so you were a corporate man through and through, and this was your first startup. So tell us about what kind of things you were doing before Siam Cardio, what kind of jobs, what kind of companies you were working for, so we can get a picture of the kind of world in which you've come from. Right. So I came to Thailand, as you said, when I was 22. I was working for a company that was in the CAC 40 in France, so the top 40 biggest companies um, in uh, logistics. So I was doing supply chain logistics. Uh, they sent me to Thailand to take care of local suppliers. Uh, what I had a two-month contract. that ended up being two years. Mm. And after two years, I was like, well, okay, this place is not too bad. Maybe I'll check if I can get another job here. And then I got an opportunity with another company, which is a $10 billion company, top five logistics provider, global provider. So that's the uh, representation of what a big corporation is, offices in 120 countries, $10 billion revenue, uh, a lot of office politics, a lot of cumbersome systems, CRM operation system that nobody uses, etc. <laughs> uh, et uh, but on the other end, uh, the good point of those companies is all the processes that they have yeah. is actually good in that, uh, in a sense that is well organized. They can develop the business uh, just by people following processes, which I think in Thailand works well uh, because I, I find that if you have good processes in Thailand, you can be successful because they're pretty good uh, at following uh, protocols and procedures. Mm -hmm. So this is what I took. I, I was also working in automotive, so taking care of automotive logistics. So that's I was a lot in contact with the automotive world, and I always had interested, uh, always had an interest to do something in this field as well. And combine that with my experience of buying a car, which was not so good. Mm. I thought this was uh, a good thing. So I took all the processes, the experience of managing a business, and that's another point that I'd like to make is uh, I'm, I'm 34 now, and I feel that if I hadn't learned all that I've learned in my corporate world, I, wouldn't, I would have failed already a year yeah. ago for this business. Yeah. Because that's, that's a misconception that running a startup, you can be 20 year old and just jumping and you build uh, the next Facebook. But there's actually a lot of accounting and financial reports and daily staff management uh, taking place. So all of this, I'm very happy. I think it was the right timing, 10 years. And my partner also had 10 years experience. Uh, she was a brand manager for international brands who set up in Thailand. So also uh, in the same kind of experience, uh, building a brand. So she's taking care of all the marketing, building the brands, and I'm more on the operational side and, and uh, technology side. Mm -hmm. When did that conversation happen? I'm wondering, you and your wife, your wife is, is Thai, local, and she's worked in a corporate world like yourself. You've worked in a corporate world. When did the conversation happen where you both decided, let's start a business? Did it happen like that, or was it one of you that had the idea, or curious to know how that all began? Right, so definitely 
was coming from me because I always had this idea that I wanted to to do my own business, mm. and uh, I thought that if I could not convince my wife of my idea and my project, then you know it was doomed to fail. So I had to convince right. her first. Yeah. So I actually convinced her to quit her job, which was you know a well-paying job in a very good company, and uh, she had a good career path, and to work on a car business where she doesn't even really like cars. <laughs> Wow. But she's really good at building a brand and, and doing all the marketing. So she's very much enjoying it now. Uh, but yeah, this conversation, we had uh, a lot of talks. And then we said, okay, one of us has to keep a job to make sure that we're uh, secure financially for at least at the beginning. So we decided to, that I was keeping working and she was going full time. So I was back in uh, end of 2014. And we went for about a year building the website, showing it around to try to get a feedback. Uh, it was very new in 2015, sounds not long ago, but in terms of digital services, it's yeah. like a decade ago, yeah. uh, especially for car dealers. Car dealers is a very old school industry in Thailand, very old families running it. Mm. So it's uh, it's a lot of education and we're still educating the market. But uh, I think we started in the right timing, which is also something I've looked at to be sure that we were in the right timing. A lot of startups fail because they are just maybe two years early or two years late. So we had to find to be sure that we were in the right timing. And, and last year in uh, mid of 2016, we started to get some traction. Uh, some dealers were paying us basically to advertise on the platform. We were starting to get some traffic. And I saw that, okay, this is going somewhere. So I just decided to quit my job uh, one year ago now and jump full-time uh, on Siam Cardio. Right. There's, some, there's a lot of really interesting lessons in your story, which I want to focus on. Because anybody listening to this who's thinking of starting a business, maybe in the corporate world, I think needs to know. The first one is, is that you had experience in the corporate world before you started a startup right and there's a lot of talk in the startup world that like you said you have to be 20 years old and you know coming out of stanford university some kid who can program and that's how you become a startup entrepreneur you know that's how you make a billion dollar app there is that narrative isn't there but what seems to be the case is the most successful startups the ones we talk to on Asia Tech Podcast are the guys who have 10 years plus of experience in a corporate environment, right? And, and there's a number of reasons you mentioned them, like, for example, understanding the process. And also, it's an education, isn't it? You know, that company is paying for your education to learn about logistics and learn about different things. You build a network, you get a salary, it's comfortable. And Correct. also, I think you understand, like you mentioned, you talk about legacy systems and so on. You understand what doesn't work. You get exposure to what doesn't work, what you don't like, and so on. So that's one part about the experience, and I think it's really important people know. And the second one you mentioned, I think, is really important as well. So there were two of you, two founders of this business, you and your wife. And your wife went full-time first, and you stayed on as a salaried employee and kept income coming in so you could pay for your you know monthly living and so on and that's a really interesting part as well because i think some people think when they start a business they have to jump in they have to be 20 years old go in full time two of them you know leave everything behind or even if they're older they have to quit their job 
start a business and leave everything. But you've kind of done things in a way which allowed you to time it a bit better. You talk about timing. So I think this is like a really important lesson. Is, is this consciously how you planned everything? Because if I was to look at it and say, what is the lowest risk way of starting a startup? You did it. Right. Um, I think there are two sides of on this coin. Uh, obviously, all the reasons you said are are good reasons to be really careful to start to make sure you have some income so you can develop it. But the, the other side of the coin is that you're going to go quite slow compared to some of the other startups, which either will have VC funding or yeah. full-time founders that are going to develop things faster. So we it, it's also, also depending on which market you are. So I think for us, we also selected this market because actually our customers are car dealers. So it's a B2B business. It's not a, it's not a, a business where we need a million users to buy our products. We, need, we just need to convince a few hundred dealers to, mm. to use the service. And it's also, there's less interest in this type of B2B businesses I found, especially in Thailand, because everyone wants the big user base, the big, you know, the big, uh, e-commerce websites yeah. with a lot of sales. So I think it's also I've 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 analyzed a lot of different business models and business opportunities before uh, we selected this one. So that was one thing. Uh, of course, you need a bit of luck that there's no competitor that comes with deep pockets and just kills you because you've been going too slow. Yeah. But on, on the other hand, um, the advantages that I've seen by going slower uh, are that. We have developed a product where we could get a lot of feedback before we launch first. And then even now we are developing tools for the car dealers to manage their leads, to manage their online marketing. And we are building this slowly. So there's a motto that says you have to fail fast, mm. uh, and which is quite uh, the hype in, in, in the Silicon Valley and others. Uh, I mean, I understand it, but for me, I... I think that if you go slowly and you don't fail or you, you know, you adapt and you adjust your product based on the feedback of users, it's also working. It's a little bit slower, but you really focus on what matters for the users. You're not building things that uh, in three months, you say, but actually nobody wants that. Right. So we, we're just uh, working a little bit different. But I think, you know, different approaches work for different people, for different businesses, but this is the one we have chosen because yeah. his benefits and and it's... Uh, disadvantages as well but so far it's been it's been working well uh, for us yeah it's important to put the options out there isn't it there's not just one way of starting a startup there's right. another so, way right yeah the, the, you don't need to 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 have vc to put a, a million dollar in your company there are, there are many different ways you can start uh, without that so we obviously when you have 10 years in the corporate world you can use a bit of savings as well to start so that's an advantage compared to a 20 year old that doesn't have any savings for example yeah. or is not uh, or from a rich family as <laughs> we've seen a few in, in thailand as well I'm, I'm interested in that conversation you had with your wife that you had the idea to start this business. So you thought, right, here's the business. This is going to be what it's about. You talked to your wife about that. Maybe she was a little bit skeptical at first, but the, the crunch was that you tell your wife that you're staying in your job and she's quitting her job to start the business. Was that an easy sell? Was that straightforward? 
That was probably the most difficult sale of my uh, of my life. <laughs> uh, I, I was I was a sales manager in in the corporate world, so uh, I learned all about sales uh, right. for a big corporation building. You know, my portfolio from zero to you know uh, ex customers. So I knew that I had to sell uh, to her first because it was for our life. Basically, you know, she was working long hours. I was working long hours and traveling because I was in charge of Southeast Asia. So we thought that we we're not seeing each other a lot. So we thought that this could, on the long term, this would be uh, a good opportunity to, when the business is, once we've built it, we could spend more time together, have more flexibility as well. So that that was also the idea that uh, one part of the sale to her. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting aspect, isn't it? Because people don't think about it often, that lifestyle as well i mean you're doing this because of lifestyle as much as anything right i mean it's if you can be if you can create a lifestyle which you and your wife really enjoy then you can grow this business for as long as you can right but if it was a lifestyle which you both you know you didn't enjoy then the business wouldn't last a long time right so that's kind of an important factor isn't it because it gives the business a better future i think if both the founders are, are sold on the vision of what this will create no, it is, it is, and uh, I think that's also why uh, she's my wife, because we have the same vision about life, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that uh, that's okay. It was really not my first idea to be in business with my with my wife, <laughs> uh, but turns out we have very complementary skills uh, on the business side, so I thought, I, I looked at it on a purely business point of view, right. uh, that would really work well, and it has, I mean, we've been working for more than two, two years together, and uh, it's been going well. That's also another another point that I can make is if you have co-founders you need to have clear areas of responsibilities so you avoid the clash of the founders which is really has negative impact on the company so since the day one we said okay you're in charge of this I'm in charge of this I have final word on this we talk about everything but if we disagree we know who has the final word on every topic and it's been going well like this how did you break that down between you and your wife in terms of yeah, so she, who I, does what? I, I, my Thai, my Thai skills and uh, <laughs> is not very good, so uh, I'm not fluent in Thai. Can't read, can write. So definitely, all the marketing we target Thai customers, Thai car buyers, and Thai car dealers. So there's no English in there. It's all in Thai. I'm the only foreigner in the company. We work everything in Thai. A lot of my employees don't speak Thai, <laughs> uh, don't speak English. Sorry, I mean. Uh, so definitely all the marketing, brand building, uh, PR. So she's the CEO of the company because she's the one in the newspapers uh, being interviewed, you know, in, in, in the Thai newspapers. And I'm more in the background doing uh, all the technology, all the IT development. Uh, I have the uh, responsibility on that. And uh, on the sales part, we just support each other because we understand that to grow the business, we need to sell it to the dealers. So that's where our background in, in sales and marketing uh, works well together. I bring some ideas from a different perspective and she will say, okay, now locally we have better to present it like this because that's more the way they think. So it's working well, I think. We have to take the best of both worlds. That's what we're trying to do. Yeah. And and not play to your weaknesses as well. I think what you've, you've described is a really good setup in any relationship, business or marriage. You know, you, you have different personalities. And I think in business... And the interesting thing, if you go into business, you could go into business with a friend or somebody who is an acquaintance. It's like a marriage anyway, isn't it? You spend so much time 
<laughs> you spend like 10, 12 hours with this person more than your, your wife or your partner, right? So it is like a marriage. And it's really important that like you, you mentioned, Damien, about that sort of different areas of responsibility. And I think what it comes down to in, in the most basic form is like somebody makes it and somebody sells it. That's kind of really how businesses break down. So somebody makes the system, they make the the product or the platform, everything about that, the whole organizational part of it. And then somebody goes out and markets that, sells it to the customers. And if you have that kind of relation, that's relationship, that's a really good relationship that you can say, okay, right, is it to do with making the platform? Okay, that's me. Is it to do with marketing the platform? That's me. That's right. that's the basic of what a business is, really. Once you have those two skills covered, that's everything you really need in the core of a business at least. So I think it's important when people think about who to choose as a co-founder, they have to think about, okay, am I a maker or a, a marketer, right? And yeah, right. I can... if you're a maker, find somebody who can go out and be the face of that. So it's interesting, you, your wife is doing that and you talk about the, the newspaper articles as well. Do the, how, how do the, the Thai media respond to your startup is it a curiosity to them here's a a thai woman in a startup or it's a thai woman married to a foreigner what's interesting about it to them right so i think yeah you you on to it so we decided to go with a strategy of the woman entrepreneur into so a tech world which is men dominated and also automotive world which is also men dominated and that uh, brought a lot of interest with the media because they were curious about the story more than the business itself. They were interested in the story. Mm. So at the beginning when we started, they most, most of them didn't really understand what we were trying to do, <laughs> what it was for. Mm. Uh, but slowly they were like, okay, now we start to get it. They see that there's more dealers on the platform. They see us everywhere. So now they are the one who come regularly to ask for updates. So that when you've reached that stage, <laughs> you don't need to do anything. You yeah. just need to wait for the calls and ah, here's the business update. Here's our latest partnership. Um, so yes, uh, the, the angle. That's why I, I'm staying more in the background, and I think that works well mm-hmm. like that. And she's more out there uh, marketing the business. Mm-hmm. That's a good. But setup. I think uh, actually we we. I would I agree with your with your view on the on the maker and the seller, but I think it's even better when both people can sell it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One makes it and you both can sell it. Then that thing you'd be uh, really successful because our platform has two sides, right? There's the car buyers, so we need to attract car buyers to go to the platform to compare the offers to interact with us, and we also need to sell it to the dealers. So I think she's doing all the marketing with the car buyers. I'm building the platform, and we both sell it to the dealers. So that mm. works really well. Yeah, excellent. Let's talk about your journey then. So this is two years ne- nearly now with. Uh, Siam car deal. So, right. you, how long have you been full time on this? So uh, one year, going on one year. I, I left on uh, on October last year. Right. And what was the decision behind that? Was it okay? We're now at this level of revenues, or we've got this many car dealers. What did you already set a goal that when you reach this point you'll go full time, or was it just something that happened? 
Yeah, basically, I always thought that when we were starting to generate revenue, I would go for it because that means there was a market for our product. Right. Um, so in, in the beginning of 2016, we were offering the service for free to the dealers, like free trial. And after that, we, you know, we made sure that the product was working well, adjusted all the bugs, and we said, okay, now if you want to use it again, you have to pay. And we had, I'd say, about 80% of our free trial who sign up for a paid membership. Mm. So that's like, I'm okay, I'm, I'm, I'm coming on board and I'm going to find more customers now. Was that so an that, easy that was, decision for you? Because I guess even doing that, you know, the next month you could have, you know, <laughs> yeah, the, no, the yeah, customers yeah. could have left you, right? Anything could happen. Yeah, once uh, once I had handed my resignation letter, right. I, I actually was relieved and stressed at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a, a very uh, fun, a funny feeling. Uh, but I, I think I had reached the end of my corporate journey. I think like 10 years, I was seven years with the last company. So as they say in China, it's like a cycle, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I thought that I had gone to the end of the cycle I was not really learning anything new in the job I could have gone for another job but then I would prefer to give it a shot so I think right, right. Th it was an easy decision all in all I think listeners need to know it's nothing against the company you're working for it's just no. the environment it's just that you had to do this you had to do your thing can you go back to that moment when you, you handed in your notice because this is something I always find really fascinating when I talk to founders entrepreneurs when that moment happens and the feelings that were going through their head because it's really important people understand it that if they're then thinking about doing that they have to understand what they're going to go through it's not going to be oh wow I'm so excited and but you know at the same time you may be a little bit scared so what were you feeling at the time yeah definitely it's a, it's a mix of feelings um, I would say for me I was I was like I didn't really say, enjoy to go to work anymore because I was seeing the potential of my side business and I was like, <laughs> I want, really want to try to go for it, you know. And um, I think like, um, uh, was it Steve Jobs or, or Jeff Bezos that always said that uh, they asked themselves uh, uh, when they would be 80 years old and they asked their young self, uh, what, what would you regret in life? Mm. And they said, I, I asked myself this question and I thought that I would always regret not trying and if I fail that's okay I'm, I'm 34 I can you know I can go and find another corporate job and that's fine at least I, I know I tried and I was not, but actually still going so I hope to make it go mm. for us as long as I can <laughs> excellent so you've been in there a year you've been in this well this startup's been running for two years what do you know now as an entrepreneur even after a short amount of time, but a short amount of time is a very long time when you're in a startup, right? Even a year or two years, it feels like a lifetime. What do you know now as a founder and entrepreneur that you didn't know when you started out? Or, you know, what, how are your expectations a little bit different now? So what I've learned is that everything goes slower than you think, mm. <laughs> that you imagine. <laughs> so when you launch a product or design a product it always takes longer so you adjust and and plan accordingly for that um, I also learned that uh, controlling the financials and the accounting and all the proper setup of a company is very important because the day that you scale you start to see the problems and then it's too late yeah. 
yeah. because it's it's already a mess and then you you in there so that's that's one advice i would give to any entrepreneur it, it's not a topic that's talked a lot i feel uh, to to look at your accounting at your setup company setup uh, i think it's very important to look at that uh, from the beginning even before you get revenue you're like yeah why do i care about vat registration <laughs> and, mm. and things like that but actually I think if you do it in the beginning, you will save a lot of time uh, later on. So I, I know that now, and I wish I had, had known. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I know in Thailand, uh, a specificity of Thailand is the the recruitment of people is quite difficult. There's quite a bit of a shortage. Uh, there's so many startups now recruiting the same profiles. So it's um, it's a challenge to, to build a team uh, here. So that's definitely the two areas that have been the biggest challenges. Um, on the, um, let's say, customer side, I think the Thai users, they are very open to new ideas, very open to this new kind of platform service. Mm. If they see uh, a benefit, they'll use it right away. They'll leave you their contact details. They'll say, call me. Uh, they, they'll check it out. So that's that's good, and it's uh, pretty I would say easy, maybe that's not the right word, but uh, it's okay to get uh, adoption on the user side. But the, another challenge is educating the car dealers, the, the businesses, to shift their budget from the offline to come online. So still we are doing a lot of work on that. So educating the markets, uh, we do a lot of training for them, how to use, you know, what's, uh, uh, how to run a Facebook page and all of that. So some of them still don't even know how to use Facebook. So it's a challenge. Mm. The point you made about everything moving slower, that that's really important to take on, isn't it? Especially when you're work, trying to get people to make decisions. You know, you've been a sales guy in, you know, your, your previous life. And I think you know that sometimes you can do your best, but sometimes the decision hasn't got anything to do with you. There's something happening. There's some politics. There's some strategy. There's some organization. People have got things in their life which you can't control, right? And I think this is important for a startup founders is they, they have an appreciation that things will take a lot longer, especially in B2B markets, right? Right. If you're selling to any kind of company, you, you don't know what's happening in that company. So you, you can be the best salesman ever. You have the best product ever. But, you know, maybe they're reorganizing, reorganizing the business or maybe, you know, they're changing their strategy. You just don't know. Or somebody's changing department. You just don't know that, right? So that's the challenge, I think. A frustration right. as well for a lot of startup yeah. founders. Is, we have some dealers. Some dealers will tell us that uh, they have a two million dollar CRM system. Why they need us, you know? <laughs> but then you ask their salesperson, and nobody's using it. Exactly. So it's uh, <laughs> uh, it's definitely uh, a challenge. So we, I see, uh, I'm on the other side now. Uh, You've been the, there, right? I, so you yeah, know. yeah. I've, I've been on the side of corporate, so I know I know how it is. So I also understand the different ways that there is to get in. So that's also from uh, drawing from my experience there. Uh, there are many channels, many ways you can go in the company and right. get an order. And, and I think we've been uh, pretty successful to, to do that. Yeah, share with us some insights about that because I would like people to maybe learn a little bit about that in terms of B2B sales. Is that This is really important, isn't it? Is that there isn't just one door into a company. What do you know? What have you learned, especially with your experience in the corporate world about getting into companies? What works? 
Right. So um, I could I could talk for probably an hour on, on sales strategy. <laughs> give give right? us the five minute to version. Make, to make it, <laughs> yeah, the five minute version. So basically, yeah, there are always different levels in a company, uh, hierarchical levels, and most likely when you sell a product, the user will be the lowest level, the users of your product. And but the one making the decision is the one at the top. And then there's a few people in between who their job is just to uh, make your life difficult. (laughs) So (laughs) uh, you have to you have to talk to the top, of course, because they are the one making the decision. But you also have to get the users, the future users on board. So in our in our case, we will say online marketing. So we generate leads for the dealers. So the one who receive our leads are the salesperson, the salespeople, sorry, in in the dealer. And if we don't talk to them as well to explain that they are going to receive leads from online, that they need to take quick action because the expectation of a customer online is very, that they're going to get attended to very quickly. Uh, If you don't do that, you may sign a deal with the owner and then he says, okay, you go talk to my salespeople to implement it. And they have no idea what just Mm -hmm. happened to them and say, nah, I'm not going to use that. No, you know, and then, the owner will come back to you and says, "Ah, oh, you bought my pro- uh, I bought your product and it's not working, you know, so I'm not going to pay you." So it's it's about, you know, convincing the different layers one at a time and going all the way to the top to get the deal done. So that's that's the 5-minute version. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. I mean, people have to understand that the difference between a buyer and a user when you're selling right. B2B, right? It's, it's never the same people. And exactly. the buyers mostly don't understand what they are buying. Right, uh, right. But if you can, if you convince the users, the users will say, hey, I want this product. Can you buy it for me? Exactly. And this is when you can win. That's it. I mean, that's a big problem, isn't it? When you, you sell to a buyer and that you think the job's done, but you have to go in the organization and you have to train, educate, convince the users as well to use your platform or your software or whatever. Right. Because it, it's not just... The fact that, okay, I want people using it, but they're the ones who are going to go back to the buyer and say, hey, we need to renew our subscription, or we want this for another year, or we want to upgrade this, right? They now become your internal salespeople, right? So if you don't have them on board, that's a big problem I see a lot with startups. And I think maybe it comes back to the thing about the experience. You know, if you've worked in the corporate world, you appreciate that. But if you haven't, you just kind of think all of all the people in the company are founders, right? They behave like founders, <laughs> yeah. which is just not true, right? Okay, let, let's talk about your journey to Thailand because I'm conscious of the time, but I really want to talk about this because this is fascinating to me and it kind of puts your whole story into context. You're from France originally, um, well, from the northwest part of France, right? But you moved to um Bangkok, age 22, and you said you're an expat at age 22. You don't get expats at age 22, maybe 44, but 22 is a very young age to be moved out to Bangkok. Tell us a little bit about how that happened. Right. So the funny thing is, so I was working for this company uh, back in France, and they wanted to send someone to Thailand. And funny enough, nobody wanted to go <laughs> to Thailand. Uh, Bangkok didn't have this appeal of being somewhere you could uh, that could be beneficial for your career in in a very big corporation. Uh, obviously, that's not less the case now. Uh, but at that time, none of the older people wanted to go, or they wanted to have the huge expat package with you know the house and the swimming pool and the car and the driver. Um, so they said, okay, we'll send a young guy uh, that costs us less money, <laughs> and it's probably going to do uh, an equally good job. So um, turned out I was the only one that was not married with three kids and a mortgage in the company. Wow. 
So they said, Damien, do you want to go to Thailand? And I'm like, yeah, okay, why not? I've never been to Asia before. And was that an easy uh, decision that, for you? Was it like that, that was on a Friday? Up? That was on a Friday, and I was on the plane on Monday, so I had to Serious? back to yeah, right. <laughs> Three days. So I, I arrived in Bangkok, and I had no clue what I was doing here. Oh, wow. I'd not done any research um, and all that. So. Uh, I ended up working. So I said I had a two months contract, uh, which was extended to be almost two years. So I started to get used to living in Bangkok. Uh, I thought it was a great place to live. Um, so I yeah, got this opportunity uh, at another company. And yeah, 12 years later, I'm still here. <laughs> wow. It's amazing you jumped at the opportunity. and You were so flexible. And it's important, isn't it, that you have that mindset when people may think, oh, well, that's a little bit crazy. Things could go wrong. But you understood that, well, maybe things will go wrong, but it's all part of the learning process, right? And the interesting thing is when you moved to Bangkok in 2006, it's quite different to Bangkok today, right? You know, more than 10 years later. What has changed since 2006 and today in 10 plus years, nearly 12 years in Bangkok? For you? Well, what you can see and what's different there? Obviously, lots of condos. Right. <laughs> um, no, but it's uh, it's very very different. Uh, I would say um, in terms of the business, I have seen a change of perspective from outsiders, so whether they're from Europe or even from uh, US. There's a different perspective on Bangkok now. It sounds more like a business place rather than just somewhere you would go for fun mm -hmm. or for a holiday. Uh, so I've seen this change uh, regularly. I mean, when I, in 2006, when I was working in the street, I was one of the only foreigners in town. It was really quiet. And now there's like, uh, it's difficult to find Thai people in, in the center sometimes. Wow. So it's really changed. Uh, lots more expat because a lot more opportunities, a lot more companies setting up. They have a great regional headquarters theme. So there's a lot of companies setting up their regional headquarters here. So that's good for the, that's good for the business. In terms of the living, uh, I think um, lots of restaurants, you know, lots of places to, to go out have, uh, emerged in the last 10 years so it's it's made it much more enjoyable uh, as a living as a as a founder for example coming to to, to start their startup here mm -hmm. I think it's a great place with low cost of living and a great infrastructure to, uh, to start you have all this co-working space I mean uh, I heard in your interview with uh, with Prem uh, I think it was Michael interview with Prem that he said in in Three years ago, it was in Haba, and it was just the, the only co-working space in the city. Three right. years ago, right, right. And now you see all of them. I mean, I, 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 sometimes I wonder who are all these people in those co-working spaces. <laughs> but that's great because there's people who come and and start a business here. So yeah, would you think that it, it it's a alternative now? To, I mean, because everybody thinks about Singapore as the obvious choice when they think about Asia, because you know Singapore has so much angel capital or so much capital at least and it has so much support and it, you know it, it's very much posted as a success story for how to build a, a startup ecosystem if somebody was thinking about moving to asia you know why would they consider somewhere like bangkok rather than singapore what is you know with all due respect to both but i'm just curious to know as to why bangkok is an option why do you think it would be a, a better option would there, is there a certain type of startup that would do better in bangkok or what do you so think? So I see there are two two types of startups that come to Bangkok. They are the ones who want to set up their base because of the lifestyle, cheap 
uh, low cost of living. So those ones will target more other markets. So back in Europe, maybe back in the US, right. and they'll set up their team here, low cost of uh, operations, office rent, etc. So they'll be more profitable by selling their software. Uh, so that, that works well because there's the BOI for that, there's uh, government support on all of that. Uh, the second type of startup, which is more our startup, is the one targeting the local market, which is much less in terms of foreigners starting this kind of company. Yeah. There's usually more the local ties who starts uh, targeting the, the local market. So I would say if you were to come to Asia and wanted to target the local market, I would choose Thailand over Singapore because of the size of the market. Uh, of course, it's not as mature, but I think the potential for growth uh, is really here. I say for, for us, from 2,000 dealers, we could go to, to 10,000. In Singapore, there's probably 100 dealers, and I'm yeah. probably being generous. Uh, so, and a lot I think, more competition yeah, as well. That's the point. Isn't it? Exactly. It's already, uh, I, I, I agree, they have been successful in developing a good ecosystem. And you see them now, they are all trying to expand to Southeast Asia. So um, I'd say Thailand is a, is a reasonable option to test this market because Thailand is a very difficult market as well. So I think if you can succeed here, uh, you can definitely also succeed in, in the rest of Southeast Asia. Excellent. And if you were speaking to a, a younger Damien, so let, let's sort of take the clock back to, well, it doesn't have to be Damien, but anybody, 20 years old, let's say that they're, they're maybe graduating or maybe they're thinking about not going to college and they think, well, I heard this story about this guy in Thailand doing this startup and I want to do that. Maybe they don't have an experience. Um, maybe they've never been to Asia and they say, okay, maybe I don't have to go to college. I could go straight to Bangkok. I could set up a, a startup and I could just see what happens if you were advising somebody like that would you suggest that that was their best option if they really wanted to build a startup i think that i would advise them to get some experience first whether it's just a year it's already better than nothing so either could be working at another startup i mean there's a lot of opportunities now even in Bangkok to work for startups and I would say get some experience get a feel for the business get an understanding of the local markets and then see what you can do if your idea can really work based on this experience so that, that would be my advice to don't jump right away because a lot of people have tried and failed yeah. uh, in Thailand uh, so I would say yeah, definitely get some experience I would advise to go to college because I think it's a good uh, education is good to have the education as well keeps the doors open if you want to have your experience in the corporate world um, so yeah I would um, I would definitely recommend to to get some experience first that definitely helps it's great advice would you recommend that somebody went to Thailand with a company or packed their backpack and turned up in Bangkok looking for a job just curious because people do that right so I'm wondering right if that so I think the the, the expat uh, sent from overseas. Uh, that's that's another that's um, an era that's over in my opinion. Right. There's really unless you work for uh, an oil corporation or, or or things like that. But uh, I think it's there's so many opportunities that you can come here, get a feel for a few months, uh, uh, 
go to networking events. I was involved with the French Chamber of Commerce. We organized events for young professionals. We had a lot of French people coming out to look for jobs. And I was always trying to give them advice on on what's the best way to to proceed. And I've seen a lot of them, unfortunately, go back to France because they thought it would be easy. Uh, So you have to be humble as well and come and understand the local culture, understand how things work, be humble and be the one who adapts, not expect the locals to adapt to you yeah yeah. great great (laughs) advice yeah and i think anybody in that situation the the best thing i mean damien's already mentioned about the chamber of commerce is you know when you go to a new place like that is to plug into the network you know find somebody like damien reach out plug into that french especially if you're french that startup scene the business scene in bangkok and take it from there you know that is the best way to build your network you need that network to be successful without a network it's very very hard right especially if you're turning up and young and you don't have a lot of experience so that would be a good starting point damien been a pleasure it's damien canace everybody he is the co-founder of siam car deal damien before you go you have to share with us some information some link that we can go and find out more about you and your story all right, so you can check out our website. It's cmcardio.com. It's available in English as well, so don't worry. You can read. <laughs> you can reach me through there. Excellent. And we'll put the LinkedIn details as well. Damien, it's been a real pleasure. Really enjoyed having you on the show. It's been an inspiration as well. And thank you for being so honest and sharing your journey with us. We've really enjoyed that. And I think, you know, for people thinking about doing the same, this, this is a really you know, uh, available option now for startup entrepreneurs is that, you know, we don't just have to be 20 years old and, uh, you know, coming out of Stanford University as a programmer. There are other ways of doing it. That's why we love sharing stories like your own because it puts that story out there and gives people more options to say, okay, right, maybe I'm in my 30s, maybe I'm in my 40s. Those people may think, oh, am I too old for this, right? You know, right. I feel like it's an, a young man's game, but what you're saying and i think what we've learned is having that experience gives you a lot of advantages that the young people don't have and people need to learn from that and i think that gives them some kind of confidence that this is possible exactly well 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 summarized damien well thank you so much for joining us on the show and come back please and update us on what's going on in the world of siam car deal in the future we'd love to hear about how that journey is going for you Thanks a lot, Graham, and I'll do that. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at www.asiatechpodcast.com.